blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. I'd love as much to play to the Billie Eilish song that this episode is based on, but heck, that song is sad and depressing, and I just couldn't find the right bit. That's okay. You know how we had a little plan? Maybe we should tell the listeners what we're going to do with all the song titles. So Ayla has been getting so excited about what song relates to what title of every episode and we would love to play them for you on here but there's a lot of copyright issues. So instead we're going to create some cute little playlists on Spotify of all the song titles for each season so that If you're curious, there is a place you can go and we have already found the song for you and you can have a little listen. Uh, We do apologise in advance for a few of the interesting tracks that we have heard so far, but I really look forward to everyone hearing Who's a Man Who? (laughs) (laughs) That song made me so happy. It was so dark. Yeah. You know what didn't make me happy this week, though? And I just, I can't contain it. It was tacky. It was so tacky. The candles, the thigh-high socks, the sitting on the ground, the whiskey, the wine. (laughs) That offended you so much. So we were actually together watching this episode, which was awesome. (laughs) It wasn't awesome for my friend Mel, though. Let's just put that out there. Yeah, we did have a ring in and she'd never seen the show before. So that was a bit awkward. She did send me a message the next day saying, I was like, I'm really sorry for last night. Tams and I were just squealing and being really emotional. She's like, oh no, it was hilarious. I sent so many Snapchats. Did she really? That is so funny. But both of us were sitting directly on the edge of my couch, looking like little children who were going to crawl up to stare intently at the TV. Like little meerkats. Little meerkats. And then, yeah, I'm pretty sure I got up. I either got up or I stropped back, but I'm pretty sure I threw a fucking cushion when I saw Link and Joe in that room. Mm-hmm. Very glad the internet is mad about it because I just, it was lazy. It was Mills and Booney as well. The first time that Joe expressed her feelings for Link, we did have a little bit of a chat on this podcast about how disappointing that is because we have really loved this idea of this different way of parenting, that Joe and Link are such good friends. They just happen to be raising kids at a similar age at the same time. And what an awesome thing for them to do, to move in together, to co-parent and just support each other through it. And I think that is just the more interesting story than them getting together. Co-parenting is something that got touched on very quickly in season two where we had a Burns victim come through and her and her best friend had gotten IVF and they'd use the same sperm donor so their kids would be siblings and they could, like, grow their children. They're not houseplants. (laughs) Together. And we're like, fuck yeah, that's so cool. And it's really what we were excited about for Joe and Link. But instead, they've completely switched their personalities. Um, Link's gone from a golden retriever to a fucking basset hound moping about. (laughs) And Joe has gone from this strong, independent, resilient, don't-take-no-shit woman to a fucking angsty teenage girl. I was going to say, like, lovesick puppy, but yeah. Yeah, but before that, they're making her struggle with the baby, and we understand that babies are a struggle, but, like, this is Joe we're talking about. Mm. 
And the fact that he pulls away when they kiss and says, I don't think this is a good idea. And she says, is it? And then they continue. And you know, it's just a complete rebound and it was gross. Absolutely getting ahead of ourselves. Welcome to the the newest episode of season 18. We have been waiting. It's here. We have been waiting for so long and I was so excited and I was so excited to feel all the anxious stress of them pulling Owen from the car. I was so ready to watch these first responders not know if Owen was going to survive, but we kind of didn't get that. Nope. But to start off, this is episode nine of season 18, No Time to Die. We open up on a literal cliffhanger. Owen is rescued on station 19 and brought into the hospital to be treated by Link and Amelia. They struggle to keep their professional relationship even civil. Owen is not only at risk of losing his leg, but also a big secret. Maggie and Winston fight to save Farouk's heart. Hayes and Megan make a plan for her future. Levi deeply struggles with the death of his patient and is not shown any support from his superiors. The Parkinson's trial is on hold while David recovers from surgery. Is this Mare's chance to finally see her kids? A fireplace, a whiskey glass, two best friends, and a bad decision. I think we've gone over our feelings on that. It's furious. Absolutely furious. (laughs) Yeah, they were too hard to contain, I think. As much as I felt like we really missed out on feeling the stress of not knowing if Owen was going to make it or not, I actually really enjoyed this episode overall. Same. Obviously, there's decisions that we don't agree with, but that's okay. That keeps us coming back. That keeps us having feelings about this show. I think the thing that bothered me the most about this episode, there was a couple of things that bothered me a lot, but I think just purely from a writing perspective, it's really odd. So we know that the end of last episode, Teddy's being gone out of the car to go find someone to take the heart back to the hospital. Owen tells Hayes to get out. This episode starts off and Teddy and Hayes seem to have arrived at the hospital at the same time as Owen, which is really odd because they're literally driving a car away about 10 minutes after the car goes off the cliff, but they somehow manage to get the Station 19 guys there to, I assume, crane or airlift him out and get him to the hospital in the same time it takes them to make a half-hour drive. Yeah, it's confusing because... Obviously, that all happened on Station 19, so we're not privy to it. But it also feels like the whole episode of Station 19 must have been them getting Owen out of the car. So there's a whole Mm -hmm. episode, what, of just like five minutes? I'm very confused. Like, I feel like that had to have taken a day. That's what I mean, yeah. I was absolutely not expecting to see Owen in the hospital this episode. Yeah, they really didn't drag this out. They just got straight to the point. Yeah, and the point was... That Hayes and Owen had uh, had an agreement before he got out of the car and that needed to be wrapped up quick smart. Yeah, so last episode we did see Owen explaining to Hayes that he had got life-ending medicine for some of the vets and asks Hayes to continue this work and hand out this medicine if Owen isn't going to make it, if Owen dies. And then we open this episode with a three weeks earlier flashback of kind of reiterating that to us. So we see Owen giving these drugs to Noah, I want to say. Noah thanks him for doing him this service, but he also asks him to take care of his two best friends. They're the ones who he saw in the bomb slash pipe episode who he sent out to sort of deal with the civilians. Um, But 
basically where this gets tricky is that those two people um, are from states that don't allow end-of-life treatment. So effectively what Owen's done is he has stolen or gotten these drugs illegally with the intention of supplying them to these veterans when they come to the same point as Noah. Realizing he's going to die in this car crash, he said, hey, Hayes, could you do this super illegal thing for me? Mm, There is so much around the idea of doctor-assisted suicide and dying with dignity, and people really are in two minds about it. And it's so wild to think that what's totally legal and respectable in one state and part of a doctor's job is completely illegal and can make a doctor lose their medical license in another state in the same country. And it just reminds me of abortion and the abortion episode we did in the same way as soon as you make it illegal people aren't going to stop doing it it's just going to get more dangerous i think one of the easiest ways to explain it is marijuana and cannabis in the states there are people who are still in jail in states that have legalized Mm -hmm. recreational marijuana for carrying a couple of grams on them when they're in their teens oof absolutely crazy um but it does provoke hayes to talk to meredith about her stance on end-of-life care. What a tricky conversation. I'm really glad that they're having this discussion in Grey's Anatomy. Look, we're just jumping right into it, I guess. Let's just, we're, we're into it now, so we're just going to continue talking about the episode from here. So Hayes asks Meredith, what's your opinion on mercy killings? And her answer is very convoluted, I suppose. Yeah, it's very vague. But I think she also feels like it's a tricky thing to talk about because I I also think the word mercy killing, that particular phrasing makes it sound so violent because Meredith responds that she agrees with dying with dignity, which is exactly the same thing. Correct. Euthanasia. Doctor-assisted suicide. So it's like he's using this term that feels really aggressive and really violent, mercy killing, to me anyway. And Meredith is saying the same thing, but in, like, a much nicer way. So she says that she agrees with dying with dignity, and he says, okay, but how do you feel about a physician who gives end-of-life drugs to someone who doesn't necessarily qualify for it? Do you think they're murdering them? And Meredith's response is, at first, do no harm. But the part where that sentence gets really tricky is when people are in the condition where they're looking at end-of-life drugs, letting them or forcing them to stay alive by not providing this option is doing more harm to not only themselves but their family and their friends. And look, at the end of the day, the longer you're keeping someone in hospital who really has no other place to go, especially in the U.S., Isn't it like $100,000 a week? And in the US, when someone passes away, you get their debt. Luckily, not in Australia. It's doing so much harm to the person's body who is dying. They are dying anyway. They're in so much pain and on so many drugs. And then it's also doing so much harm to their family because they're just going to get slapped with an overwhelmingly huge medical bill at the end of this. Meredith, Meredith's response of do no harm is really vague because we don't know if she's talking about do no harm as in she doesn't. Does she support it or does she not support it? And I don't think Hayes knows what she means either. She keeps her cards very close to her chest in this. It could really go either way. And I'm, I'm not sure. She always has though. Mm. I think that there's going to be some questions raised next episode purely because of Hayes' actions later in this episode because that conversation as you said really did startle 
Meredith and it took her by surprise. Basically just gotten back to the hospital with Kai and Amelia and David has collapsed and they've rushed him into surgery. So the three of them really haven't been privy to what's going on in the hospital at all. They've barely said a word to anyone when they go straight into surgery. So not only is one of the first questions she's asked this for a friend who she hasn't seen in a couple of days and was just in a huge car accident, she finds out a lot more later on. And if I was her, my little old head would be spinning with questions. This episode appears to be the next day or like a couple of hours later, which is why Owen makes no sense. I feel like it's a couple of hours. Oh yeah, because Farouk's lying there with his heart exposed. With his heart open. Yeah, his heart's been open this whole time. It's not days. It's not long. Which means they they got Owen out of that ditch in like an hour. I know, so quickly. And they must have been so close to the hospital still. So we find out that David's surgery went well. He's fine. He's recovering. And we get this little scene with Meredith and Kai while he's still in bed. And you jumped like a meter in the air. <laughs> Meredith slams the bit of the bed. She does classic angry Christina and grabs the handrail of the bed and slams it in place, waking him up. And all he can mumble out is this meek, pathetic, sad man. I'm really sorry. Mm. And it's just not good enough. It's really not good enough. And I really appreciated all the things that Meredith said. Meredith really has a stern word with him. And what I loved about this was that she was really putting other people before herself in the way that she's looking at this trial. She says he didn't tell them how sick he was, which caused him to collapse. And I think what he was septic or something gross. Yeah, him being septic and refusing to acknowledge his illness basically just jeopardized two years worth of research. Yes, exactly. And what we learn in Meredith's speech is actually a lot of things that we've been questioning for a while and we haven't quite figured out. So I think this little speech was so concise and gave us so many answers. But as I was kind of saying, I really love the way that Meredith put herself kind of last in this equation. She says, we have wasted or you have wasted two years of Kai, what's Kai's last name? Dr. Kai. Dr. Burton. Oh, Bartley. Dr. Bartley's time. And that really helped elevate how important and how brilliant Kai is as a scientist. And this other sentence Meredith says is that our time is a non-renewable resource. And I think that sentence, that's going to stay with me a while. That is going to become a bit of a mantra for me this year, I think. (laughs) This week for me. (laughs) So what Meredith also explains is the reason why she is involved in this trial is because her name is what helped them secure the funding. So we have been saying quite a lot, like, why is Meredith even involved? Do they even need her? She's not a brain surgeon. She's not a scientist. She should just go and study Alzheimer's like this whole show has been about. But no, it's her name that actually secured them the funding. So in a way, they're kind of using her... I say they, I mean David. David is using her for very selfish reasons. Well, he's also incredibly selfish because Kai points out that not only has David jeopardized this trial, but he's jeopardized it ever being able to succeed because the FDA hasn't approved this trial specifically for human trials. They have approved for David to get this procedure. David's brain and David's brain only Only. is what they are allowed to work Mm -hmm. on. Because this must be so incredibly hard to, to even do, like without a willing participant who has 
Parkinson's at the level that they need to test on. That's so impossible to find. Well, they've been testing, all the testing is based on his specific brain as well. And he just has nothing to say, but Meredith says something. She says, I have children that I am missing days with because of you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, well, you are the one who chose to stay in Minnesota over Thanksgiving. So true. That's how she kind of ends her rant all about her kids. Then she walks out of that hospital room, calls her boyfriend, Nick. And what does Nick say? Oh, Basically, they're having a chat and he says, oh, by the way, I saw that there's a jet going over to Seattle that I can just jump on. Would you like me to come hang out this evening? Even though they only saw each other three days ago. And she agrees. And you know what she decides to do tonight instead of go home and see her kids? Because she comes out of the hospital all sad and tired and he's there and he says, so we've got some choices. I made reservation at this lovely restaurant and she grimaces. And I was like, okay. Or... I've booked a hotel room and we can order in room service. Oh, this killed me. I think we grabbed each other. I wanted to throw something at the TV. You've, you just made a big speech, Meredith, about how you have not been able to see your kids. All you've been doing in Minnesota is hanging out in hotel rooms with Nick. Mm-hmm. Come on. She also was just saying like how hard a day it has been because her friends were in a car accident her, this trial is almost going under. Her favorite resident has just had a huge emotional flame out. Flame out. That's what she says. Hey, that's a flame out. And instead of like going to hug her kids and make herself feel better, she's like, nah, yeah, let's escape to a hotel again. Or just maybe like, I understand that having him stay the night is probably a bit much for her kids, but like, Hey, would you like to come around for dinner at my house? Yeah. Also, he just shouldn't be there. Just go and have some family time, Meredith. This is ridiculous. This is the first time you've been home in ages. You miss Thanksgiving. You nearly miss Christmas. You've been home for what appears to be like maybe a day and a half and you you still haven't seen your kids. And and at the end of the episode, Amelia doesn't go see her child either. I'm I'm mad for Link. The man still hasn't had a day off from being a single parent. She's been home for two days and he's the one sending her goodnight pictures. I don't even think they've been home for a day yet. I think this is the same day. I don't know. Rather than making out in a courtyard or staying late to berate my boss or going for a drink with someone I got a crush on, I'd maybe go home and tuck my kid in. You haven't seen him in a while. All right. Speaking of Amelia, let's go there. So we open with lots of Owen kind of flashy montages and when he kind of comes to he's in the hospital and Amelia and Link are standing over him and they are going to be his surgeons because he has an injury to his leg which is ortho time for Link and also his spinal cord and they really need to check out his head which is Amelia territory. So Amelia has gotten herself in a situation where she is operating on her ex-husband with her ex-partner. Awkward. Correct. Awkward. And this ex-partner is being a stroppy, stroppy baby because he has just today witnessed his ex-partner who he was planning on declaring his love for make out with someone else in his workplace. Blindsided. And someone else who he has never seen before, probably has absolutely zero context to. Don't know they exist. Which I think is important. Yeah. So they're in there and standing over Owen and having this argument over Owen is... Amelia, Link, 
and Nico. And they just cannot decide the best way to start this surgery. Amelia wants to go first because she wants to operate on his spinal canal and Link wants to go first so he doesn't damage, so he doesn't lose his leg. And Amelia just turns to Owen and says, basically, you've got two choices, lose a leg or never walk again. Nico pops in. Nico was talking a lot this episode and says, well, why don't we just lay him on his side and do both at once? This is such a classic Grey's Anatomy argument. The like, what mm-hmm. what specialty is more important argument. Yeah. And I, I always get a little bit of a kick out of it. I do enjoy those. But yes, thank goodness for voice of reason, Nico. Sorry, we've never really seen Link do that much surgery. Like think about Callie. There were heaps totally. of ortho surgeries and she was like, like that episode where she's like, I built a man's fucking hands today. <laughs> is it just me or do you feel as well that I don't think Link's a good, as good an ortho as Callie was? That's the vibe I get. I don't think he's been written good surgeries. So they come out of this meeting and Amelia's trying to talk to Link. She's got no idea anything funny's going on and he's just being bratty. And she's like, hey, man, there is someone I love going on that operating table. I don't know what's going on with you today, but can you just like put it aside and please work with me? And he just fucking blows her off entirely until they get into the surgery. The gallery is open. We've got Meredith in there. We've got Weber in there. And we'll get to their conversation in a little bit. And then in walks Kai, just to peruse, just to see their crush doing a bit of a surgery, being a boss bitch, I think. Side note, is this the first time one of our characters has been in a a legs or death situation and the gallery's just been empty? Where is the support from all of the people that you've worked with for the last fucking 15 years? That's a really good point, but I'm trying to figure out who even is there. I think because there's so much going on and there's lots of people involved, like our people are involved. So there's support, the support networks Mm -hmm. are going to, they're going to Levi, they're going to Megan. Well, Meredith walks in and doesn't even know that it's Owen's surgery. That is how out of the loop she is. Yes, she does. No, no, no. She comes in and Weber tells her that that's Owen. She's like, oh my God, is this Owen's surgery? Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Kai comes strolling in in their classic grandpa chic cozy sweater vest. Yep. <laughs> Which has become and, a classic staple for Kai. Mm-hmm. And we just see Amelia's eyes flick up and a little like, we all know what a smile under a mask looks like now. Oh, we sure do. Link clocks it immediately and just sc- starts screaming that the gallery needs to be closed. And look, as soon as that happened, a part of me was like, oh, that's a bit shit, Link. But then actually, no, it makes a lot of sense. On second watch, you're like, yes, his motivations were probably bratty to begin with, but also I genuinely think he did the right mm-hmm. thing. Rather than leaving Kai there, knowing that he would be distracted from what he needed to do, which was rebuild Owen's leg so he could walk again. He chose to make the pettier decision and ask the gallery to be cleared. Petty and also wise. Yeah. Because he could have been even more petty and left it open and then, use, you know, counted every single look Amelia gave Kai or, you know, like he could have made it worse. Or just done that thing that we've seen a few times before where they bring up snarky things that's aimed at someone in the gallery. Exactly. Yeah. This is a good link decision and they are able to focus. Amelia picks up on it pretty Mm -hmm. quickly though she's like oh that's why you've been shit all day but to link's credit 
the surgery actually goes really well. And then we get a little bit of a argument with the two of them out in the corridor straight after. Link is storming out of the surgery. And they filmed it from really strange angles down two corridors. I don't know why, but the filming of this cinematography was really weird for me. But Melia just kind of grabs him and says, you spent the day punishing me because you caught me kissing someone else. So before we actually get into this fight, I'm just going to preface it and say, this fight made me so confused. It was like I was watching a a tennis match. I was ping-ponging between whose side I was on. I was like, yes, that's a really good point, Link. No, that's a horrible thing to say. Oh, Amelia, you're so in the wrong. Amelia, yes, you're so right. And I, I absolutely cannot figure out whose side of this I am on. So I actually wrote down this fight and we're going to read it out. So I'm actually going to make you, Ayla, read half of this fight with me. And after every line, I need you to help me dissect it because this this argument has been in my brain since I watched it. And I've watched it twice now and I still just have no idea what to think about it. They both say some awful things. They both say some true things. Well, look, Amelia basically grabs him and starts it off by saying, you spent the day punishing me because you caught me kissing someone else. Okay, dissection time. Yes, he has. He has done that. But also, isn't everyone really hurt when they see someone they're still in love with making out with someone new? That would hurt anyone. It would make anyone act weird. It's past Christmas. Well, it's for them, like, we still see decorations up. So I think it's, like, before the New Year's, we know they slept together on Thanksgiving and Amelia was, again, very clear on, I'm done, we're done, this means nothing, I just need to feel the weight of a man against my body. That was a Sex in the City line if anyone was listening. Yeah. And he took that and threw it all in the bin and said, mm-hmm. oh, no, 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 you still want me. And since that moment has suddenly decided in his own brain, has not managed to text her or call her at any point in the last, what, three months and say, hey, that really fucked me up. Can we have a chat? Instead, he has been pining and devising a plan to win her back. All right. So let's go into this next line, but I'm going to get you to read Amelia's first line again. Then I'm going to read the second line. You spent the day punishing me because you caught me kissing someone else. I'm over here pining for you. Pining. Can't think straight because you told me you loved me over and over and over. We were building a life together and I was torturing myself, trying to convince myself that I don't need to be married. I just need you. Since when? Pause for dissection. Exactly. Since when, Link? So he's obviously done nothing to like communicate with her that he's still having emotions. He's just been telling Joe all about it, but expecting her to to know that they're still in a relationship. Yes. Do you know what is a huge turnoff for me? Someone that complains and complains about something and doesn't do anything to fix it. And that is what Link is doing. He has been complaining and, as he says, pining and pining can't think straight. And he's doing absolutely nothing to communicate this with Amelia and try and fix it. And in our timeline that we're trying to figure out, it has been months of this. And then all of a sudden it's taken him this long to realize that he doesn't need to be married, even though that is what Amelia has been asking him to understand what their whole relationship. Yeah, I'd say that. That's about right. Because doesn't he get down on one knee when he knocks her up? He gets down. He proposes to her so many times and she said no from the start. 
Can we have Grey's Anatomy scalpels and tequila knee pads? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All right. So what's what's Link's timeline? What does he say next? Since when? Since now? Since today? And I came to tell you this, but I find you kissing someone else in the hospital where I work. You just moved on. You just moved on like the last year and a half didn't matter. Pause for dissection. See, this is where I flip back to, well, the start of it, where he says, since now, since today. I'm like, Link, it's a bit late, mate. It's taken you a very long time to realize this. And Amelia doesn't operate on your timeline. You've decided today that this is what you you don't need to be married, even though you've said you needed to be married for the years. And you've hyped yourself up. You came to tell her today. And I'm like, that's too, it's too late. But then he says, I find you kissing somewhere else in the hospital where I work and you've moved on the last year and a half. Didn't matter. We agree. Poor form. And it has kind of felt like that. When we've talked about it before, whenever she's in Minnesota, it's like she's a whole other person. She's like Minnesota Amelia that doesn't have a past and a family back in Seattle. I think the year and a half that he's talking about is the COVID, right? Because they went into COVID just after Scout was born. But they, they broke up. A while ago, like Amelia goes on to say, I am not a person who just moves on. I had to think and process and feel every feeling in my body. You know, I went through a year of AA meetings trying to figure out what I needed and you didn't want to hear that I was losing myself in something that I did not want, could not want. You demanded that I marry you. And now once again, you want to gaslight me into thinking that I played you. Valid. So, so valid Mm -hmm. because he is treating her like that. He has just said that she's led him on for all this time. And she's like, no. I think one of the things where you're getting the timeline twisted and why I think it's so hard for Link to see and us that she may have moved on is the fact that she was the one who broke it off with Link. Like she's just said that she went through a year of AA and it's often the person who does the breaking up with is the person who has already gone through the mourning stages of a relationship. So yeah, for him, they've only been broken up, what, six months, a year maybe? But for her, she's... No, they broke up. They, it's, I reckon it's only been a few months. It's been however long they've been doing this trial. What, four months? Let's just give it six months. My point being that Amelia has been struggling with the fact that she does not want this relationship for significantly longer than that amount of time. Definitely. I mean, that's so true. If you're the person to break up with someone, you, you've you kind of broken up with them in your head way earlier than when you do it. So I guess, you know, for the person who doesn't see it coming, their mourning after the relationship has ended, but the person who saw it coming for a while, they've mourned the relationship while they've been in the relationship. And personally, I think that Link should have probably seen it coming. She was very miserable. But in saying that, everyone was really sad during COVID and her struggling with domesticity may have just been seen as her struggling with lockdown life. Then Link goes on. You keep using that word, gaslight. That's when you pretend that someone's reality, their experience, isn't real. Like when you pretend that we didn't make an amazing baby together, raise four kids, or love each other really damn well. You pretend that we weren't in love because you're ready to move on with some, I don't like that he says this, but some random woman. They are non-binary. Oh, okay. That makes it better. Congratulations. I hope you're really happy. So before he says some random woman, you know it's bad. 
I know it's bad. We all know it's bad. We're just going to go ahead and throw that one in the bin. We understand how we could have made that mistake only having seen Kai from behind and having absolutely no context. So, like, I don't think it was done with malice. Genuinely a mistake. But it is actually quite interesting that the show has chosen to have one of their characters misgender someone. You know, they didn't have to make that choice. Link could have said, because you're ready to move on with some random, some random person, some random human, some random but they didn't. The only thing that maybe makes sense to me is that it shows how disconnected Link is from Amelia's new life because Link just has no idea who Amelia's working with, what Amelia's doing. Maybe it's to kind of highlight that, how disconnected from each other they are, that this person that Amelia is so close with and works with every day, Link has never seen before. And that would be really different from their relationship coming from working in the same place every day. But I don't know. It's a weird choice, I think. And then we have the gaslighting comment. I think we're designed in Link's acting in this to dislike him because he looks like he's throwing the word gaslighting back at her. But those points are valid. Yeah. We have not stopped saying she's pretending like she doesn't have a family and a child. And we've talked about that every time she's in Minnesota. It really feels like there's the Seattle Amelia that had a scout and that, you know, had Thanksgiving and cooked all the food and really acted like her family life and her domesticity was a part of her character and she was enjoying it. And then there's the Minnesota Amelia who's flirting up a storm, not really talking about the fact they have a family at all, who's just living their life over there. So it feels like two separate people. Well, you said that this felt like you're watching a tennis match flicking back and forth. I'm watching you as we're podcasting it. You've been literally leaning back and forth with every argument that's happening. Yeah, yeah. I want to throw you a completely different concept, a third option. Why do you feel the need to be on someone's side? Why do you have to be on one of their sides? I don't know. All I, I hate that when I'm good friends with two people who are dating and they put me in a position where I'm forced to choose who I want to remain friends with when they break up. Now, don't get me wrong. If you have emotionally, verbally, or physically abused your partner, I'm probably out. I'm just going to be honest. Oh, there's deal breakers for sure. But maybe consider the fact that, yes, Link has been gaslighting Amelia and treating her pretty badly. And Amelia has also been gaslighting Link and treating him pretty badly. And in no way can we really reminisce or want for the relationship they had to begin with because they've never had a relationship. They used to fuck in the blue room. And then she, he pined after her and said, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. She strung him along. Then she found out she was Mm. pregnant and waited to tell him whether or not he was the father or to find out he strung her along about whether or not he would stick around and she's been very straightforward with her emotions on marriage and stuff like that he got into the relationship agreeing to do it knowing that it was against his core values yeah so they've both let each other down by making a poor decision to date someone whose core fundamental beliefs in a relationship is so different that maybe we don't have to be on anyone's side. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can just acknowledge that these two people were really comforting towards each other in a time of need. That got more complicated by way of a baby and they made a decision to stay together even though it probably wasn't for the best, as we're seeing now. So I can be friends with both Link and Amelia after this? 
Correct. <laughs> okay. I think neither of them are right and I think neither of them are wrong. I just think they were both unintentionally really shitty to each other. I think that's such a testament, thinking about it like that, I think that's such a testament to the Grey's Anatomy writers that they are able to write characters that are this complex, this flawed, this lovable, and these characters don't exist in black or white. They're able to have an argument like this, and the viewers, like me, are able to understand both of them and get really confused and really invested. Well, because this happens. Life isn't black and white. You'll have those two people that you're friends with both and Mm -hmm. you'll hear about shitty behaviour from one part of that relationship and then you'll hear about shitty behaviour from the other part of the relationship and you don't want to speak to the other one about the other thing the other one's done, but you're sitting here being like, fuck, Yeah. I don't know whose side to be on. And to be honest, not our relationship, not our place to pick sides. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Unless someone's throwing hands... That's between them. And just because they don't work well in a relationship doesn't make them bad people. I don't think that either Link or Amelia have been particularly bad people. I just think that... They've hurt each other. They've hurt each other. They've been in a bad relationship without either of them intending or being malicious at all. Yeah. I think this might be the end of it. Do I think they're going to be friends? Absolutely not. I think they're going to be really good co-parents. I think they're going to be civil and friendly around Scout and make sure that he gets the childhood that they both saw for him. And to be honest, as a child of divorce, I would have preferred that. You're a child of divorce. Would you have preferred that to whatever it was you dealt with? Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Link at the end of this episode sends Amelia a text message with a picture of Scout because every night, even when they're fighting, he sends through... A picture of Scout. So, speaking of the photo that Link sends Amelia of Scout, Amelia gets this text message, picture of her baby, while she is at Joe's bar. Hello. Welcome back. They've cleaned the peanuts off the tables, (laughs) and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Obviously, Joe is not running the (laughs) shop anymore. And she is sitting there with Kai, who is eating fries and having a drink. And then Amelia goes on to kind of for the first time, really lay out her life story for Kai. And Amelia really gives them a debrief on what happens today. She goes on to say that the guy who I was operating on, my ex-husband, the dude I was operating with, my baby daddy. And Kai basically just says, you need a drink? Mm -hmm. I'll get you a drink. In a way, it's like, it's been a day. (laughs) But she basically gives Kai an out and says, look, this is all a mess. And I understand if you don't want to have a thing to do with my life being a hot mess. Kai offers her a chip and says, so is your type hot square jawed men? (laughs) And Amelia says, well, currently or recently, my type has been hot square jawed you. Do you have a type? To which Kai responds with, I don't have a type, but I'm sharing my fries and that's not a small thing for me. Which is really sweet. But I want to just flag the fact that Amelia has just laid out all of her, she calls it her mess, her baggage, everything that comes along with Kai coming into the Seattle Grace, Grace Loan, Mercy West. What is this hospital called this season? (laughs) For Kai coming into the Grace Loan Memorial Seattle. (laughs) When Kai comes into Seattle, they will have to deal with Amelia's baby daddy, Amelia's ex-husband, the place Amelia's renowned brother used to work, Amelia's renowned brother's widow, 
Amelia's her sister, Amelia's her sister. sister-in-law, mm-hmm. the whole schmuzzle. And there was a flickering there at the end of this chat where Amelia's demeanor changes. And I, I thought 100% that she was about to tell Kai that she couldn't do whatever it was they were doing anymore. Because Amelia says, I hate that I broke his heart and I hate that he made me break it all over again. So I think Amelia's sort of had a think about what Link has said. I think Amelia didn't realize how Link was feeling, clearly, because yeah. Link doesn't Link doesn't communicate anything. But I, I just don't think Amelia really understood how impactful her actions would be to Link at the moment because she has been so removed from that situation. She really has been living a life that feels completely disconnected and completely moved on. So, look, it wasn't... I think she's feeling a little bit of guilt looking back on it and being like, yeah, that probably wasn't the greatest, but him putting it on me was also not cute. And I don't think she's fully processed everything. I know that she's been going through and going through it in AA, but I just don't think she has fully processed how intense that COVID life was for the two of them who suddenly had to look after four kids, couldn't leave the house, couldn't see anyone, couldn't go to work with all their friends kind of relying on them to look after their kids and keep everyone safe. Well, that's something we discussed just recently in our season two, episode eight recap, where we both mentioned that everything is getting so on top of us now coming out of COVID, even though it's exactly, if not less than what we would have been doing pre-COVID. We're just not capable of dealing with it. And I know the conversations that I've been having with a lot of my friends recently are because we're all so fucking woke now because of Instagram reels and TikTok TikTok psychologists being on there. I think a lot of us are starting to realize that even though we thought we came out of COVID pretty okay and we're doing quite well, I think there's quite a lot of longstanding psychological issues and mental health issues that have come out of, especially Melbournians being locked away for two years, that we haven't gotten a full grasp of the repercussions of that yet. Mm, I feel like we've all jumped straight back into life at such speed and like this level of busyness that we used to we used to operate on really normally and all of a sudden it just feels so hard and it's like we're only just realizing the limit of our capacity to take on so much and to work this hard at this at this level just isn't sustainable we got out of our last five month lockdown in november (sighs) All right, at the end of that, we need to talk about someone else. For Rook's heart is still splayed out on that table. Our saviour, our lord, our hot Irishman comes running in with a busted up forehead and a heart in a box. He yeah. delivers it to Winston. So we learn that the heart is actually bruised. It got thrown around a lot in that car. And I mean, it makes sense that hearts bruise, but I've only ever thought about that in a very poetic way and not a very medical way before. (laughs) So then we get our newlyweds getting to operate on Farouk. It is Winston's surgery. He gets the heart just in time. Farouk is laid open and he looks at it and sees the bruise and doesn't quite know what to do. So calls in Maggie for reinforcements. And Maggie doesn't want to do the surgery. Maggie says, look, there's too much of a risk that we put this heart in Farouk's chest and it doesn't work. And then he goes into immediate cardiac arrest. And Winston just does not agree. 
He brings up that his point is that they should use the heart because it is a miracle that this heart has even made it, that these three people in this car have survived. So this miracle heart is almost like fate and it needs to be used and they need to take the miracle. Well, I'm on his side, not for the miracle part of it, but just purely because if they don't operate, they're going to have to put him on that machine that pumps the blood around your system. And if they do operate and it doesn't take, he's going to have to be on the machine that pumps the blood around his system. So give it a go. Yeah, I understand But that. he's very whimsical about the it being a miracle part. He's... He's so excited and enthralled. And he actually steps over Maggie, who is chief of cardio, and says, I'm going to do it. You can assist or not. I believe that this is going to work. I have a really good gut feeling about this. Big Weber vibes. And then he'd made the right decision. The heart works. I'm just skipping over that a little bit because what's interesting about this storyline is the conversation that comes next between Winston and Maggie. Maggie kind of goes on to say that this miracle stuff just isn't really her bag. She... She believes in science. She believes in medicine. She believes that the heart isn't a miracle. And this just really reminded me of of the dynamic between April and Jackson. Even though, yes, April was more religious in faith, this, this idea of hope and miracles and fate versus science. Well, she says, you're a person who takes in mir- miracles. I'm a person who takes in data, mm. science, and reason. I'm glad you had that because you are explaining it a lot better than me. He's saying that this is serendipitous. And if something so serendipitous happens, it's got to be a good thing and let's go with it. Maggie's like, no, what happened was we have highly skilled surgeons. We have sterile conditions. We have all this training and we have medicine. And that's what did it. And Winston just goes, yeah. I completely agree. And it's a bit of a miracle that we had the opportunity to learn how to do that. So let's take my miracles and our hard work and put them together. And we saved a little boy today. It's a reflection of that same dynamic we saw in April and Jackson, because this conversation could go two ways. It could be the end of their relationship because they fundamentally have a different view on things like this, or it's going to be this amazing glue that sticks these two even tighter together. Because you know what? Maggie could use a little miracle and Winston could use some hard truths about hard work and science. I mean, you know, he already knows that because he's a doctor, but with all the miracle chat, I thought that Maggie was going to announce she was pregnant. Oh, it felt like that. It really felt like that. Felt it in my jangles. But when we were watching it, you had a really good point because Tamsin actually stopped it and had a really good point about why she thought that Maggie might potentially feel that miracles are lazy, I suppose, or an insult. Yeah, we stopped it and we had a little bit of a chat about how Maggie was a gifted child. She was said to be a genius. She moved through school so much faster. She was the youngest head of cardio. She comes with this kind of genius tag. And maybe that kind of sucks for her because she knows how much hard work she put in. I'm sure she's still really smart, but you're not just really smart and becoming a doctor without hard work and training and a deep understanding of science. You don't just become the youngest ever head of cardio because of fate, because you're a child genius. You become it because you work fucking hard and you fight tooth and nail and you have to prove to so many people, so many older people, so many older male people, so many older white male people. You have to prove to them that you are the best. And she did. Yeah, absolutely. If someone said to her, it's like, 
Oh, it's so amazing. What a miracle that you're in this position at your age. How patronizing. Patronizing. But she hasn't taken it as patronizing. She's seen this wholesome bit of him and been like, you know what? I, I, I like that about you. And he likes it about her that she's so mm. dedicated to her craft and her medicine and believes so much in herself and her skill set. That to know that everything they do is not being handed to them by some whimsy. It's the hard work that they did. It's going to be really fun watching these two develop. We also get this other, lots of quotes that I'm going to put into my day-to-day life from this episode. When Winston gets to update Megan and say that the surgery went well and that Farouk is going to live. Oh, you did not mention the heartbreak of the slow motion walk towards the deeply devastated Megan, us having <laughs> no idea if he survived or not. So, Cruel okay, okay. and unusual. Fair, fair, fair. fair. <laughs> so after the slow-mo, he gets up and says, Farouk's fine. We shit ourselves totally. off the couch. <laughs> and then instantly Megan is asking about Owen and doesn't really process process the good news and Winston think he might like does he hold does he touch her I'm not sure in my head he touches her shoulders kind of helps her get grounded and he says be in the moment take in the miracle oh and I just loved that I feel like we rush through emotions very quickly especially when you have other things to worry about and sometimes it is really important to just like feel your wins yeah. And take in that little thing that you did that was really good instead of being like even small things like, I don't know, doing the dishes was a bit of a stress for me today, but I just did it, got it done, moved on. When I really could have taken a moment and been like, you know what? You thought that was going to be hard and look at you. You did it and now you have time to do something else. Good on you. Really small example. But I think we all deserve nope. to take in our little miracles and feel our wins. Yeah, rather than being like, oh, yeah, I did that, but look at all the rest of the shit that's on my plate. Mm-hmm. This, just this tiny little moment as well, was the one time in this episode that I thought maybe I had grasped the the overarching theme of this episode because this one was tricky for me. Meredith's monologue is very scientific and it's very specific. It's not a poem. It's not poetry. It's not overarching. She's giving us a scientific definition of what a complex central nervous system nerve does. Yeah, and that makes total sense because she is kind of explaining what's happened to Owen. But I think I could totally be wrong. I think a part of it is also about what happens when your body hits that flight or flight mode, when you are fight or flight mode and you are unable to process your feelings properly and your brain and your body get really disconnected because a lot of our characters this episode are kind of frozen and unable to process. So I could be way, way off base, but to me, this little moment, taking the miracle, being the moment, it allowed Megan to breathe and maybe allowed her brain and her body to connect a little bit. And she was allowed to be in the moment and feel what she was actually feeling. And I feel like that is what connects this monologue to a theme for this episode. I'll read a little bit. The vagus nerve is the longest and most complex of the cranial nerves. It transmits information to or from the surface of the brain to the tissues and organs elsewhere in the body. When a body sustains an extended period of stress or trauma, the vagus nerve becomes hyperactive. 
We think of stress and trauma primarily as emotional, but the real impact is on the body. When the vagus nerve is triggered, it fights to slow the heart, the blood pressure drops, and you can experience nausea, tunnel vision, ringing in the ears, low blood pressure, and irregular heartbeat. And when the mind suffers, the body suffers. That sounds like a panic attack. It does sound like a panic attack. And what happens when you're in a panic attack? You absolutely cannot feel any other emotion than that panic attack. You can't experience any joy that's going on around you. You can't experience any sadness going on around you. You are completely stuck in your body's response. And it kind of is there primarily and primordially to protect you. All these things, the blood pressure dropping, the tunnel vision, all of this is like our body kind of putting us in a protective shell. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening to a lot of these characters. Look, I'm drawing a pretty long straw here because it does... That happens to all of our characters. One in particular shows all of these symptoms and it's the one that we don't want to talk about the most um which is levi and as she's saying this monologue we get this picture of levi looking at his hands covered in blood tearing off his scrubs and just not being able to see or focus and having a a really um bad time but Owen exhibits it as well. Um, Link absolutely goes into fight or flight uh, throughout this whole episode where he gets just so enraged he can't see anything else. Teddy. And my best actress of the week, Teddy. Best acting that we've ever seen from her. She, The sadness that she portrays, just it was crazy. She almost looks like she's aged 10 years just out of fear and worry. And I'm a little bit scared something's going to happen to Teddy because when they came in with Owen. She was so incredible. Oof. That is so stressful to think about because she, we don't see her get checked out at all. And Amelia actually says, this is another reason that connects this all together. Amelia says to Teddy, your nervous system is protecting you. So she can't feel her emotions. So she is totally in shock and she is just acting the hell out of this scene. All she wants to do is see Owen and she gets in and she finally sees him and she's, you can see she's deeply terrified. She's scared to even stand close to him for fear of breaking him. Um, but he asks to speak to Hayes and we did touch on this a little bit earlier. So Hayes and Owen have a little sidebar just before he goes into surgery and This was a bit confusing the first time we watched it, but with the flashback about the life-saving drugs and being able to hear it a little bit better the second time around with our headphones on, we did get a bit more of an understanding about what Hayes and Owen. Yeah, they really explained it. They do actually explain it quite well, even though, yes, the first time we were a bit confused. So the conversation starts off by Hayes thanking Owen for getting him out of the car. And Owen says... You can thank me by forgetting what I told you. Because just before, uh, just as um, Hayes gets out of the car, Owen asks him to take care of the other two soldiers and give them the medication he promised them. Yeah, and Hayes really does not does not agree. He really doesn't agree. And that's where we kind of learn that what Owen is asking could potentially – make Hayes lose his medical license and Hayes really wants to tell Bailey on him for taking the drugs. 
Well, it makes Hayes an accessory to murder, basically. If it was found out that Owen stole or procured end-of-life drugs to give to these soldiers that don't qualify in their state, and Hayes had been the one to do it, Owen had basically asked him to be an accessory to murder. Oh, what a complex and complicated situation this is, because... Because we know that Owen just has the absolute best intentions and really cares about these people. And we know that Hayes is a good guy. And we know that Hayes really cares about his patients. What we also know about Hayes is that Hayes is a huge stickler for the rules. We've been saying it in our early seasons. We've been saying it this seasons. How often our doctors break the rules and the law to do what's best for their patients. Whereas Hayes has come in. We've seen him in previous episodes telling the doctors, hey, we are professionals, we're in a professional environment, I need you all to stop this and get the heck out of this room. So Hayes was 100% the wrong person to ask Yeah, this and that's really sad because I feel like these two could have had such a great friendship. I feel like Hayes and Megan could have made a great team, a great partnership, and Owen and Hayes could have been friends. We actually haven't seen for a while any really close really deep male friendships in this show. And I think think that's really lacking. Hayes' character has been quite weird because we don't know too much about him. We know his wife's passed away and he's got two kids and we were promised a dinner with Bailey's kids. We didn't get that. He hasn't been developed much. But what he has become is what Bailey was in the earlier seasons. Hayes has become the emotional sounding board of the hospital. He's been this intellectual, emotional and mental health base for a lot of our characters he grounds everyone quite a lot he's the spiritual leader of our hospital he's like a safe place for them to come and vent and ask advice and that's kind of all his character has done for a while that idea that he is the emotional backbone of the hospital at the moment is proven even further when basically everyone's asked not to tell megan that there's been a car crash or that Owen's hurt at all because no one wants to add extra stress to her. Hayes is the only person that Megan spoke to about her, like, suicidal ideations and not wanting to live if Farouk doesn't live. People put a lot on Hayes. He knows he knows a lot of people's yeah. shit. Yeah, so I think it's fair that he was the one to walk into the chapel and find Megan there. Hayes is really open with her and he demands to know what her plan is to live. This is such an important conversation and such an important scene because how often on TV do you do you get to see properly how to help someone and how to actually care for someone who is in such a, a precarious mental health situation? You know, Are You Okay Day is everywhere, but it doesn't actually teach you what to do if someone is not okay. This scene is teaching us exactly what to do when someone is not okay. It is Hayes asking for a very specific, actionable plan. And look, at the end of the day, it's not terribly altruistic. He he says to her, I need to know if I'm giving you more bad news that I am not putting the, bil- the pills in your hand and that I am not taking you out. Very specific wording from the show to make that connection between giving the pills and ending your life in both the assisted dying storyline and in this Megan storyline. Correct. And he goes on to tell her that he is actually able to empathise because this is not a situation that a lot of people are able to empathise in. And he talks about the way he feels about his wife 
and he says that it's been three years and I'm still not over her. All of our hopes for Hayes and Meredith or Hayes and Megan are suddenly on very thin ice. Oh, they're completely crushed at this point. I purely believe that's exactly what they're doing. They are shutting this down. All the viewers got too excited about Hayes and Megan and they are like shutting it down. He is not over his wife. End of story. Everyone stop asking for these two to be together. I felt personally attacked by this line, honestly. I wanted them to be together so bad. (laughs) (laughs) And he says that when his wife passed away and even still now, he doesn't want to leave his kids. He wants to be there for them, but he desperately wants to see his wife again. So he knows what it's like to have one foot in and one foot out and again asks her, what is your plan to live? And she is so straightforward with him. Amazingly, she has she has a plan and she has very actionable actions that are easy to follow up on and that he can be involved. And her plan is that she has taken a sedative already, mm-hmm. sedative, yeah. to help her nervous system, to help her stay calm. And she says, you can be here as I call my psychologist. I will CC you in on the email to my psychiatrist. Incredible. And he is just... So straightforward. He does not sugarcoat this at all. He puts it as plainly as can be so there are no extra questions. And it's just, there was a car crash when we were coming back with Farouk's heart. Owen went over. He is in surgery now. The heart has a bruise on it. But Winston thinks they can operate. Winston thinks they can operate and they're operating now. Get your phone out. Make that phone call. Her response to, I actually found really funny because she hardly reacts. I mean, she, she does internally, but she just says, wow. When it rains, it pours. For some reason, I just, I was like, that's a very light way to respond to this news. It's probably how I would have responded as well, to be honest. Like, well, fuck, may as well add on a couple of extra pounds. We're already halfway here. My goodness. I love that the show is teaching us how to care for our friends when their mental health is not doing great. And when you are the person that your friend comes to, and if you're the person that your friend is able to confide in and say, look, I am not okay, the show is teaching us some very good steps to actually help. Because actually helping, it's really hard to know what to do sometimes. And the fact that Hayes is putting his own feelings aside during all of this conversation because he's still struggling with what to do with this debacle with Owen. He sits there with her while she makes a phone call. He's standing right behind her when Maggie and Winston give her the news. And then he he goes to see Bailey. Goes to see Bailey. And as a viewer, you really think he's there to tattle on Owen. That's what he's there for. It's not tattle. He's there to do the thing that is legally and morally the correct answer. It's so, it's so true. Yes, he's being a professional, but it is so hard. It is. At the end of the day, Owen has not only done something that will jeopardize his medical license career and freedom. He has now jeopardized Hayes' medical career, life and freedom. Yeah, true. But he's also potentially doing huge irreparable damage to the hospital. He's being a professional. It's not tricky. At the end of the day, what he is doing is illegal and that's not okay. Same as the Elvat wire, all that kind of shit. It's straight up illegal. But he walks into that room and the first thing that Bailey does is ask for an update on the hunt. And before he even gets the chance to respond. He's the best person I know. This family's gone through so much. Bailey just 
breaks down and says, I need him to be okay. And then Hayes just, he can't be the one to break Bailey's faith in these people. And so he chooses to just fucking quits. Get him, remove himself from the situation. He's leaving. He's fucking leaving. We haven't even seen him with his shirt off yet. We haven't seen him make out with anyone. I don't understand why he is going. I, 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 I'm, this is not what I was expecting from this episode at all. This blew my mind and I firmly believe something must have happened behind the scenes. I have two points. First point, strong agree. We needed to see that man with his top off. I'm going to do some Googling. I'm going to see if I can get it for all of you. Second point, I just needed to know how he was going to kiss. Because in my opinion, Karev has never looked like a good kisser. Steamy, that man looks like he knows how to do it. But I think that Hayes was going to have, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but I want you all to think back to 10 Things I Hate About You. Heath Ledger. Ooh, there is some good kisses in 10 Things I Hate About You. Heath Ledger, in every film he's in, does the same kiss. I think he has an acting kiss because in A Knight's Tale, it's exactly the same as well. In Crush, same. But he does this thing where, because he's quite tall, he pulls his shoulders up, gets really close, leans down and holds whoever is kissing his face a bit and will often like rub their cheek, look at them and then just dive. And I I feel like Hayes has got, you got some tinglys going on there. You know exactly the kiss I'm talking about at the end of 10 Things I Hate About You. (laughs) It's funny that you said an acting kiss because in Friends, Joey's character, Matt LeBlanc's character, Joey, gets a gig on a soap opera. Susan Sarandon plays this character. Susan Sarandon's character has to teach Joey how to kiss on soap operas. And she says, you always, you always put your hands over the other person's face. That way the camera only sees you. So it's just funny that you said it was an acting kiss. (laughs) So I'm so disappointed in this decision because they have dangled so many storyline carrots with Hayes in front of us. Why would they float this idea that Hayes and Bailey are going to make their kids friends and they were going to have this amazing friendship and we're all rooting for that and then just abandon that? Why would they float Hayes and Meredith? Well, that ended. So Meredith found Nick. That ended. That was annoying, but it was over. But they have been teasing us with this Megan and Hayes flirtation for a while now, and they really would suit each other. Not even Megan and Hayes, but Hayes and Farouk Mm -hmm. have built this rapport as well. And Hayes and Owen have a rapport. He's just slippery dipped directly into that family so well. I don't know. Maybe he... A part of me thinks maybe he's not actually gone. So I'm really sad. I'm really sad that he's going. Very disappointing. Well, I'm just about to make you even sadder because unfortunately we have well and truly left the worst till last. The final, the final. This storyline was really shocking. Look, I don't get grossed out in this show. I don't get squeamish about all the blood and the surgeries. But for some reason, this storyline... This got me. I felt like I was in a horror movie. The last time we saw Levi, he had overstepped the mark during the Weber method and someone that he looked up to a lot was dead on the table, blood spurting everywhere. Bailey's come in and crack the shits 
and Bailey and Weber are squabbling as Levi is going into this panic attack, tunnel vision mode, ripping off his scrubs, and he starts washing his hands. And outside of the scrub room, Bailey and Weber are fucking having it out. Bailey tells him that the weather method is now suspended as of right now till indefinitely. Oh, and Weber comes back at her with, you may be the chief of this hospital, but I am the chief of chiefs. Ugh, I hated hearing those words come out of his mouth. I hated him, like, belittling Bailey in that way. We've been taught, we've been calling him the chief for so long. We had to correct each other a couple of times during this recording to stop calling him chief because we knew we were going to discuss this and we were like, you don't get that anymore. Absolutely not. Um, So he says that and then he throws open the door and really harshly yells at Levi, Schmidt, stop wasting water, your hands are clean, and then just buggers off. Um... A few hours later into the episode, Bailey comes in and sees he's still washing his hands. I don't think it's hours. I don't think it's hours. But, yeah, time has passed. Well, she – yeah, time has passed. Bailey comes in, sees him there, and is quite surprised. She's like, what do you think you're scrubbing in for? You need to do post-op notes. She can quite obviously see that he's having a bad time. And she says the surgeon who hasn't lost a patient hasn't done enough surgeries, which is really odd from Bailey because she tells him, like, take a breath, feel your feelings, and then get the fuck back to work. So we get a little bit of that Bailey compassion, but it's so – the delivery is not compassionate at all. And this is something that is quite close to Bailey's heart. That's what was hardest watching this when Bailey came in. That was hardest to see because we know that Bailey has struggled with OCD and we have really seen pretty much the exact same shot of her washing her hands and washing her hands after her glove got a hole in it in the holy glove episode. So it's really shocking to see Bailey witnessing this behavior, knowing full well what this behavior is and how traumatic this experience must be for Levi and what he might be going through for her to kind of dismiss him. We have to also think, because this really didn't sound like Bailey, this whole scene, this was like a character we don't know. But because we haven't been watching Station 19, we actually have no idea what else is on Bailey's plate. We know that Ben would have been out there trying to rescue Owen. Potentially something serious has happened with the Station 19 people. We know she's still fighting for this kid. I think there's a lot of stuff going on that we just don't know about. We do know that she has enough in her that at some point she finds Joe and tells Joe to go get him and take him home. But by the time Joe gets there, he's been washing his hands long enough that they are inflamed. His hands are purple. He has not stopped scrubbing him. And she she tries to comfort him and she she puts her hands on him and gets thrown to the other side of the room by him. This would have been a really hard thing to happen for Joe, who has such a history of domestic abuse and full-on domestic abuse. I can't imagine what she would have been feeling in this moment when someone she trusts, her friend, I know he didn't mean to do it, but I can't imagine it would have been easy for her to get thrown back and whacked like that 
by a friend. I, I, I can't imagine where her brain took her to in that moment. So I'm really glad that she left the situation to get reinforcements and she just kind of grabs the first two people outside of that room, which happens to be our brand new intern and Helm. The next time we hear anyone mention Levi is when Tamsin mentioned before that uh, Weber and Meredith were upstairs in the gallery and Weber gives Meredith a debrief on the day and he tells her that the surgery went bad and that he's so angry with Levi and that I should be in there comforting him but I am so mad at the hubris and the irresponsibility that he showed that I just can't be there for him. And Meredith puts him in his place pretty quickly. This was one of my favourite lines of this episode because we get such a such a grounding line from Meredith, I think because we all in that last episode as viewers we're all so shocked that Levi did this, that Levi didn't wait. And Meredith kind of puts Weber in his place but also I feel like she kind of puts the audience in their place too because I felt like she was directly talking to me when she says, if we were doing the Weber method when she was an intern, she said, Alex wouldn't have waited, Christina wouldn't have waited, I wouldn't have waited, which is true. Point is we all know that interns are a little bit reckless and get drunk on the scalpel, I believe her line was. Yeah, it's something like that, really good. So after they've had this chat, Meredith doesn't go to check on him to make sure he's okay. Oh, no, 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 no. Joe goes running up to Helm. Thank fucking Christ. No one's told Nico. And new guy, new hot intern. Well, Nico's in surgery. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I honestly think Joe just grabs the first two people. I don't. I think she just needs help in that moment. She knows that she needs people in there fast. She's not going to walk around the hospital finding the perfect people. No, she needs muscle and she needs help. So she grabs the muscle. Who happens to be our brand new Bailey Lovett intern. And she grabs Helm. Thank God for Helm. Helm's actually Levi's friend, so that is going to be helpful. And then the three of them head back into that room and we get this shot of Levi's hands. That made me feel so sick. There's so much blood in so many episodes of Grey's Anatomy. There is so much gore, but for some reason... Even earlier in this episode, we see it pulsing out of a body cavity. That's fine. Yeah. For some reason, this has affected me on a very, like, visceral, guttural level. And I can't. I can't with it. Degloving injuries. Don't even say that. No, Ayla, don't. Are some of the most unpleasant injuries. And if you say that word again, Levi has been in such a trance-like state that he has managed to scrub his hands past the point of purple, but to the point where the sink is filling up with blood. And that is where our interns walk in. I think because it is, it feels like it's a type of torture and it's self-inflicted I don't know what it is. I can't handle it. It makes me feel sick. This is actually one of the first times that we've seen, aside from Bailey doing it, self-harm from one of our interns. And I think they can all see that's happening. A new intern tries to talk him down, sees that is not going to work. So he flanks Levi with Helm and Joe on either side of him and him coming in behind. And he, he just bear hugs Levi and pulls him away. And Levi is reaching for that sink 
and he just starts screaming and you suddenly realize that being taken away from the water, the air has hit his hands because he is out of that trance and they just drag him immediately to the ER. Helm, new guy, and Joe are bandaging his hands up. Joe gets pulled away on a page and says, make sure you don't leave him alone. And then Nico's coming in. Important, important thing to note. Very important thing to note that Joe says that. Do not leave this guy alone. He is in no condition to be alone right now. He is so traumatized physically and emotionally and he is hurting and he he can he cannot be alone. And finally Nico's surgery is over and Nico gets to see what's happening to his boyfriend. And Nico's just like, what's going on? What's happening? What's wrong? And Helm says, let's go for a walk. Come over here. If that was my partner, I would absolutely not be leaving their side. I don't understand how Nico's like, yeah, okay. I would be like, absolutely not. You tell me what's going on. I'm not leaving his side. But then the next time that we see Levi, I'm so angry because at this point he's been taken away from the sink. His hands have been wrapped. That's no quick measure. You've got to stop the bleeding, pad them, figure out the fuck's wrong with them. These guys are all interns. So at least one of their attendings should have been called. Meredith Gray should have been called. Bailey should have been called. Weber should have been called. Meredith is his direct report. Weber is his main teacher in the interns program. And Bailey is the chief of fucking surgery. So one of them should have been there to make sure he is okay. At least just to know, like, where all their interns are as well. He's had a hand injury. He can no longer be an intern. Mm -hmm. And then the next time we see him, he is sitting outside in the ambulance bay, in the rain, rain. on the ground, by himself. What did Joe tell you? Do not leave him alone. How did he go? get there and also why was Nico away for so long it feels like it's been hours how was nobody walked past and be like hey that's a guy who's obviously been a patient covered in bandages sitting outside on the dirty ground in the rain mind-boggling and that's bananas because that is the end of this episode so I have so many questions going into next week they better wrap this up. So I have so many questions going into next week's episode, but my main one right now, we have one big question and one big answer. And the big question is what the fuck has happened to Hayes? Why, why are they culling him? Did something happen? Did they just not develop his character enough? Did they dangle a lot of amazing storylines and then they not go anywhere? That's how I'd be feeling. It was just so quick. Okay, so as upset as I am about that, I have a theory. And this theory makes me so excited that nothing else matters. If this theory comes true, Hayes can be gone and I wouldn't even bat an eyelid. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to I'm gonna ask some questions of you, dear audience, and maybe you can see what I'm... See what I'm putting down. You can pick up what I'm putting down right in front of your feet in big fluoro letters on the ground right there where you can see it. So let me start with this. We have a character, Owen Hunt. Now, Owen Hunt is going to need to learn to walk again. I wonder who does that? What sort of character 
is going to be good at helping someone learn how to walk. I wonder who has some experience in that. And maybe that interest in rehabilitation was a little bit personal as well. And that's where something else comes in. With Hayes gone, with Hayes leaving, we've just lost our head of paediatric surgery. Please, Grey's Anatomy gods, please, please, is this the bringing back of Kelly in Arizona? Do we get our Calzona back? Please, Grey's Anatomy (laughs) gods, hear our cries. Because if you remember from our spoilers episode, Eva, who plays Sophia, put up that little post being like, oh, my God, Sophia's back. And then two days later was like, I'm sorry to disappoint all of the Grey's fans. That was a lie. That was a whoopsie-doo. But then continued with hashtag Grey's Anatomy, hashtag Sophia McSteamy, long last name. (laughs) And we said, maybe this is just a 13-year-old being really excited. And spilling the beans on something that she really shouldn't be spilling the beans on. Mm -hmm. And was forced to make a retraction. Getting a little slap on the wrist from the old ABC studios. So if we... Join with me now in closing our eyes, crossing our fingers, and praying to Shondaland. If we all pray together, maybe, (laughs) maybe they will hear us and they will bring us what we want. Every time you say, I don't, in fairies, a fairy dies. So say it with me, everyone. We believe in Calzona. We believe in Calzona. We believe in Calzona. We really do. We really do. I'm sorry, but if we if we lose our head of peds and we need to rehabilitate Owen with a leg and we don't get them, what are they doing? How have they not put that together? Right? If they have dangled these really obvious, obvious carrots and they're just not going to go anywhere, I don't know. I'm going to be furious. There is one thing that I am very grateful that's happened this week, though. We did finally get a resolution to the what the fuck is Nick doing here question. (laughs) In an interview with Ellen Pompeo that Tamsin sent me today. Right before we started started recording. recording. This article is quoting an interview that Ellen Pompeo did with Insider Magazine during an interview to promote her company, Better Remedies, which I didn't even know she had, and I'm definitely going to be looking that up. She said to Insider that she invited her real-life friend Speedman, Scott Speedman, Nick, back to play her love interest. She said, inviting Speedman back to reprise his role as Nick was the only thing I could think of that would really send the female fans wild and be really super fun. So did she bring Nick back because she's got a crush on her friend and just wants to make out with him and not cheat on her husband? Or did she just bring Nick back as a favour to her mate? Because he goes on to say when he's told about this interview that he does, that he doesn't really like the idea of being, when he was younger, he didn't really like the idea of being uh, typecast or pinpointed as a heartthrob, but now he's not so fussed about it. Is that maybe because you haven't had an acting job since that one episode of Grey's Anatomy you did? Whoa, deep cut, Ayla. (laughs) Oh, okay, so... (laughs) 
better. I can check that though, but I think he has, but that's pretty funny to me. Better remedies. We make over-the-counter medicine and are on a mission to improve medication access in America. That's why for every single product purchase, we donate a medication for an American in need. Oh, props That's awesome, Ellen. actually. Fucking good on her, Ellen. Yeah. I right. really love that she's getting really involved in the medical community community because in a way she is kind of a face of the medical community even though she's not a doctor so they have cold and flu drugs allergy relief pain medications sleep aids uh acid like reflux stuff rehearsal hydrolyte yeah cool i like that she's using her platform on Grey's anatomy to actually make a change and oh my god she's being meredith graven in real life that's really cool yeah that's really cool so Love to hear from you. Do you think she's just helped her friend out and gotten him a job? Do you think Hayes is sticking around? Do you have emotions about Calzona? Yeah, let us know. Let us know that you prayed because I want to make sure that everyone was on that little pray boat. Let's get this happening. So I'm also just going to tell you that um, we are really struggling to get these episodes at a reasonable time on a Friday night. They are taking a very long time to get to Australia. Unfortunately, that means that our season 18 recap episodes are going to be coming to you guys on Tuesday and not Monday like we've been doing in the past. And we are really sorry about that, but it's just... Tamsin, stop apologising. All we have been saying... To all of our listeners this entire time is stop apologizing for putting your needs first and what we're trying to do is to make sure that we bring you the best podcast that we can and that we'd feel proud putting out and yeah. that we want to bring you correct we want to bring it out on a tuesday that means you're getting twofer on tuesdays and thursdays which which for me makes my love of alliteration sparkle. You were actually really excited when I posed this because you were like, Tuesdays and Thursdays, not Mondays and Thursdays. Yeah. <laughs> um, we just want to make sure that you guys are getting the best podcast that you can. So we thank, we don't apologize. We thank you for your consideration and we hope this doesn't ruin anyone's Monday. But know that if it does, we will be there to give you a cuddle and some gossip the next day to make it feel better okay we promise so thank you so much for listening to this episode i have a feeling it's going to be a bit longer than usual because we had a lot to discuss and we have been really missing season 18 and you will hear us again on thursday thanks so much you guys bye Bye. 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 Bye.